This is the Omnichannel Marketer, the show where we get real about what it takes to build a brand, create a seamless omnichannel experience, and drive customer LTV across D2C, Amazon, and retail. I'm Kate Stevens, the CEO of Bridge. Join me for unfiltered conversations from the trenches of e-commerce. We'll unpack strategy and leave you with tactical advice you can use today to drive your business forward. Let's rock and roll. Hi, everyone. This is Kate Stevens. Welcome back to another episode of the Omnichannel Marketer. Today, we have Ronak Shaw on the podcast today. Ronak, it's so great to have you. He is the founder and CEO of Avi, a collagen supplement brand. Ronak, it's so it's so great to have you on. It's a, Kate, it's a pleasure to be on and uh, really excited to, to jump into things. Uh, I think a topic that we don't often get to talk about with Avi, which is like, Omnichannel because we've always been such a D2C first approach brand. So really excited to have this conversation because it's it's going to be a little refreshing for us too. Amazing. I'm excited to have that conversation. So tell me a little bit about your story, you know, as one of the co-founders of Avi and, you know, what is Avi? Absolutely. Um, so myself, I was actually an accountant, accounting major and uh, started at Deloitte and uh, got the opportunity to work as a controller for a startup supplement brand back in 2012. That exposed me to startups and exposed me to the health and wellness category, two things that I start to become, started to become very passionate about. And uh, I told myself, you know, I can always go back and be an accountant, but I can't take risks like this. So when I took the risk from there, ended up starting my own marketing agency because I wanted to continue learning. So I ran that marketing agency for about four years and uh, did it with two other partners who were also at the startup supplement brand with me. So we've kind of have been best friends together for these last 10 years. So in 2019, after working together for about seven years, we basically said, okay, we, we worked at a startup supplement brand. We ran a marketing agency where we worked with numerous other supplement brands, did about seven figures in revenue and agency revenue. And so we finally said, I think we've learned enough and made enough mistakes and learned what not to do to start a brand of our own. So 2019, we finally said, okay, cool. Let's stick to what we know best, which is the health and wellness and supplement space. And let's find out what needs disruption, because that's truly, I think, has to be one of the biggest moats of why you start something. Uh, you have to find a, a space. So Obvi is, is a supplement brand built for women, uh, revolving around the health and wellness category. But our, our biggest difference is uh, we believe that flavored collagen um, can make co- the idea of taking collagen more exciting, more fun. And our hypothesis is if our branding of, of over-the-counter supplement products can be more fun, exciting, tasty, pink, loud, overall consumers will want to want, take more healthy products instead of just kind of taking these pharmaceutical-looking products that you put in your cabinet and never take. So that's what Avi is. Awesome. And then, you know, where did you think about launching Avi first? Like, you know, take me back to when Avi was launched. Where did you launch and why? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, given our backgrounds being, you know, almost like marketers first than anything, we've been in the D2C space. We've been in, you know, websites and, and understanding the digital consumer really well. So we started Obvi on Shopify. Uh, it was a website and we did what we knew best from day one, which was market on Facebook. So our first customer even that came through the door on Obvi was a customer that came from the first Facebook ad we ran on day one of launching the website. So like we had it very clear that we were going to start the brand on digital, it's what we knew best. And then we ran the funnel through paid market. 
And so you started this pre-iOS 14.5, and now obviously we're in a you know post-era. What has changed yep. as it relates to you know how you think about using Facebook to and you know driving your D2C channel that way? It's changed everything. We've it's not even just like what we think about Facebook driving traffic. I think overall as a brand, we realize it cannot live as a D2C only brand. And so it changed the way obviously we look at Facebook because now Facebook is just a place that we go for overall awareness. We have ads that run to all of the places that obviously sold them. And even if you come to our website, there's multiple mentions of, hey, you can get Obvi here as well. We also run remarketing from multiple different places that Obvi is sold. So what we've learned is digital is a great place for discovery and awareness. And then being able to offer your product omni-channel is now like a blessing almost. Like it's, if you get the opportunity, it's like, it's not one of those things like, oh, I'm too good for it. Or I don't know enough of it. I don't want to do it. It's like, you have to do it. Uh, because it's the only way to get a, a, what this blended customer acquisition costs down. And that's the one key metric that we are always looking at. So now that you know you need to be an omni-channel brand, and you know this is literally the whole point of why we started this podcast, we were just seeing more and more brands, you know, because of CACs, because of, you know, different dynamics in the market, you know, recognize that they need to be, you know, everywhere that their customers are. So what are the channels that you are in now as a brand? And, you know, how do you think about your brand experience across those different channels? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say D2C is still about 70% of our sales. And so like a year, like last year, we did a little over 16 million, about 8 million did come from, eight to 9 million did come from D2C. Then we have what we bucket everything under is B2B, okay? And uh, I think we need to start uh, calling that different now, but where that, what lies in that kind of 30 to 40%, depending on the year, is our Amazon. So we sell direct to a vendor on Amazon. It also has Vitamin Shop. We sell direct to uh, Vitamin Shop. All our mom and pop shops, so like just smaller boutique shops for supplements, And then we also have tons of online selling partners or what we call OSPs, like your iHerb or bodybuilding.com and stuff like that. We're also in GNC as well. And then as of August, we'll be launching in Walmart. So it's like this like broader range, which used to be 0% when we launched the company in 2019, as I think grown by like 10, 15% in accumulation, taking market share away from our D2C business, uh, which has been pretty cool to see. And so as you prepare, so it, it's this coming August that you'll be launching in Walmart? That's correct. That's correct. So as you prepare for that launch, you know, what are some of the things that you're thinking about? And, you know, because that's a you know major retailer launch, you know, how are some of the ways that you're preparing yourself for that launch? Yeah. One of the, one of the biggest things we're doing is we're working with a broker. And I think with the broker, we're really trying to define what the roles and responsibilities are going to be. I think when you start a broker vendor relationship, and I'm, I don't know this so well, so I could be wrong here, but initially it sounds like the broker take care, takes care of everything. Then as you get closer and closer to the sales cycle finishing, It feels like, okay, cool, looks good. We'll kind of invoice you at this time and there'll be a couple of things we help with. And it's like, wait, they feel like they're kind of fading away. So we're trying to really incorporate and understand how and who's going to manage what parts of this relationship. And then number two, 
the marketing piece. We're a marketing first brand, taste first approach brand. So how are we going to run offline sales? Because just by being on the shelf on Walmart, Obvi's just not going to just automatically start selling. So we did one, one strategy at Vitamin Shop that did really well when we launched. And so we want to see if that could make sense to run at Walmart too, but like do it at a bigger scale given Walmart's, you know, larger scale. So a lot of different things on the marketing and a lot of different tactics that we're trying to see. But main thing is roles and responsibilities of how to work with a broker. That makes complete sense. And, you know, will you be creating a specific product for Walmart? Will it be, you know, a similar product that you sell in D2C? And then second question, but but related, you know, when you were pitching to Walmart, and that's obviously a huge retail account, what do you think it was about Avi? And, you know, how did you stand out to Walmart that helped you win that pitch? Yeah. So on the product line, all what we are doing is the product is staying the same. What we're doing is we're working on kind of just rebranding the packaging to be much more clear on what it is. Because the main thing here is, is there's no landing page that you can add to your product on shelf. There's no headline, there's no ad. So the product packaging, you know, we all talk about it all the time, but you don't realize the importance of it until you get onto a platform like Walmart where it needs to sell itself. So we're kind of rebranding it to dial back the flavor piece so much and dial up why you absolutely need this and why we're better to, to the one right next to it. And then in terms of, sorry, your second question was in regards How to- How did you win? How did you yeah. win Walmart? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we went to Arkansas in December, one of the most exhilarating experiences because that whole town runs on Walmart. But anyway, mm-hmm. when we sat down in the meeting, the, the biggest piece was they have vital proteins, they have ancient nutrition, they have organ, and they gave us, they literally took us to this planogram and they said, here's what's on shelf, okay? Now, and then they literally took Avi bottle and they said, they put it here and they said, so why is someone gonna pick that up, okay? And we had to give them, so I gave them a one reason, which was, oh, it tastes better. Like, it's just, it's better. They're like, okay, why else? Then we said, well, the formula is better. We're the only collagen with vitamin C, vitamin E, calcium, iron, magnesium, and biotin added to the formula. They're like, okay, what else? And then we're like, well, um, it looks better. Like, it, it's just more fun. You're gonna be excited to say, it's like, okay, what else you got? Right. So, and I remember it got to a point where I was starting to get nervous because I was like, I don't know if I have more reasons. It's like, but, um, it got to the point, I think I gave two more reasons. And then finally I was like, they were like, okay, anything else? I was like, no, I think, you know, those are like seven different differentiation points. And they're like, well, that's seven reasons as to why we'd want this on shelf. So thank you for that. So I think. Because I went super detailed there, that was one thing. And the second thing is the fact that each reason I gave really was a different reason of why to buy Obvi over something else, not just why Obvi is another solution. I think were the two main driving points. I think one of the things they see a lot is there's a ton of collagen that comes to their showroom and they'll just be like, there's not enough reasons as to why you take this over vital proteins and vital proteins turn rate is insane. So why would they you know, want to take that away just for one reason for someone else. So I think multiple reasons as to why someone would buy Avi. That makes a lot of sense. How did you even get in front of Walmart in the first place? Like what, what was that process like? Yeah, I think pretty much I harassed a lot of people on LinkedIn to the point where like, I, I didn't know if like, I mean, you have to kind of be like a little bit crazy to do this, but like I was getting to the point where like I was messaging people just stuff like, Hey, I'm flying into Arkansas just to see you. Should I cancel my flight? 
right? Like I'd say stuff like where people are like, why do you, why are you doing this? Right. And so a lot of LinkedIn messaging. And then finally, when we think we got like the first message back, like, Hey, let me put you in touch with the buyer. I was like, okay, cool. This is great. Then I got linked up with a really good broker who was recommend, who came well recommended. And then he helped guide the process. But the initial reach, I think you just kind of have to do what you can to get some eyeball into the right direction. Makes complete sense. And so now as you, you know, continue to think about growing your retail presence, you know, coming up, like bringing down that 70% D2C presence, what are some of the challenges that you'll experience or that you're already experiencing as a brand, you know, with those different channels? Yeah. Cannibalization of sales Mm. is a big one, mainly because all these channels also have an online piece to them. And it feels like they kind of just expect that to come along, but they don't realize their online piece owns so much domain with something like Google or search uh, history. So like the fact that we got on vitaminshop.com, right, instantly beat out all our results that myobvi.com hosted with Google because vitamin shop is a much more trusted domain, right? So what seems like a very small part of their business takes away a large part of ours. So cannibalization, I think, is number one. The second thing is diversification of marketing. I think for us, it's a little bit tricky to understand how to market, right? You have all these different things like Ibotta and then like all these different like tools you can use. We just don't know that world of marketing, right? We can go toe to toe on paid marketing with anyone. But when it comes to utilizing completely different tools and services and you start even Googling about them, there's so many. And so I think the challenge is like learning what to use and how much money to put towards it. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's an entirely different world. And I think ultimately it's going to be this new learning curve for you guys as a brand. But, you know, how are you ultimately thinking about bridging the gap between all of those different channels and, you know, having that omni-channel experience for a customer that maybe, you know, buys first in Walmart, but then comes D to C, you know, how do you think about that? Yeah, Great question. So I'll, I'll bridge this back to kind of when I referenced that we did a tactic at vitamin shop that worked really well. So what we did was we created a campaign where we said, upload a receipt of your purchase from vitamin shop. And as long as when we scan it, we see vitamin shop and obvi on the receipt, we're going to give you $10 back in reward points to your account for your next purchase with Avi. What this did was it drove a ton of people to go and buy because they're getting $10 off, okay? To go and buy a vitamin shop, we created a little bit of like an in-house scanner where anytime a photo came in through AI, we were able to read it. So it was super quick and then it just put in reward points into the customer's account. What this did was it drove a ton of offline sales. And Vitamin Shop, they put in a second order within four weeks of their first order because we drove a bunch of sales right out the gate. But we didn't do it without protecting our online because the $10 they got, they got in gift card reward points that they only can use at myavi.com. So, and then we're, ha- we're running this campaign year round all the time. So what it's doing is it's like someone starts that online, goes offline, but then comes back online because that's how they redeem. So I think those two pieces helped a lot. That's That makes a ton of sense. I wanted to hear about something that you feel bold or passionate about. Yeah, super bold and slightly passionate about licensing deals 
and what it's shaping out to be. We did one with Entenmann's and it's been probably a gate opener for a lot of conversations into B2B and food drug mass because it just creates a sense of authenticity. And then you look at some of the brands that are winning, they're either licensing a really, really large creator or like if you look at a brand like Ghost Lifestyle, they've licensed like Mondelez and, and General Mills and Post. Even Diamondize, which is the largest supplement brand, they went and licensed Post to get fruity pebbled, cereal flavored whey protein. So what I've realized is, what I think in, in our industry is if you can create more authenticity through licensing some of these really large collaborations, you're going to create a lot more kind of, I think, a lot more affiliation to the brand. So for us, when people saw that we're a small brand and just getting started, there are a lot of people that are hesitant. But the minute we said, oh, we also collab with Entenmann's, people are like, oh, wait, like Entenmann's Entenmann's? You must be legit too. So like, I think it's it's pretty cool things to say. Yeah. And then Walmart was really excited about our Entenmann's collab as well, as well as Vitamin Shop. So what did the Entenmann's collab look like? Yeah. So it's a royalty deal. For th- I have a three-year exclusive. I pay them a royalty fee and or a minimum guarantee in sales, whichever one's greater. And then for three years, I have the rights to use any of their flavors inside of my flavors. They just have to have final sign off on it, which they're super easy to work with. But this is how most of the industry does these collabs. So right now we're also in talks with like Arizona iced tea to do a couple of iced tea flavors. We're also in talks with like airheads where, you know, they're like, it's really cool to be able to tap into this market to bring really authentic flavors. And then you get to use their branding and, and their name too, which is great. That's awesome. And does that, so it gives you validity to the market because you're working with these large brands and then it also gives you new new flavor profiles to introduce to the market. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's not even new flavor profiles. Sometimes it's actually authenticating your current ones. So before hmm. we came out with the Entenmann's one, we had a chocolate chip cookie collagen, just like we have a fruity cereal collagen. In the fruity cereal world, I have been trying to get Kellogg's to give us Fruit Loops for a long time. But that would be really cool to say fruity cereal is now upgraded to Fruit Loops, right? And it's a real Fruit Loops flavor, real Fruit Loops branding versus fruity cereal is kind of a knockoff. Whereas when we had chocolate chip cookie, it was it was a chocolate chip cookie, but now it's Entenmann's chocolate chip cookie, super collagen protein, mm-hmm. a completely different level of velocity. It makes complete sense. Okay, I want to shift over now to our lightning round. So, you know, just a couple of, you know, quick questions. What okay. is your favorite omni-channel brand? Truff. It's an awesome one. The hot sauce company. Yep. Love, love their hot sauce. Yeah. What do you wish you could change about our industry? I wish more people would build in public because there is mm-hmm. less things that are open that are just kind of privileged to some people. And we all can kind of utilize, like the competition landscape isn't as what it used to be. So I feel we can share more things and actually make the ecosystem grow if we did a lot more things right together. And what inspired you to grow and uh, to build in public? When I was looking for help for certain things, people were super protective of everything they did. And then I realized like I figured out what they did. And if I was in their shoes, I could have just told them and built a stronger relationship. Um, instead, they felt protective and I saw that their growth plateaued, yet we were able to surpass some people's growth. So I just feel like if you share, it comes back around. I completely agree. I've you know recently started doing a similar thing myself and I've, I think that it's so compatible to help, helping other people. So I 
fully agree with you. What is your favorite podcast? Chew on this because I'm biased because it's my podcast. But I, if I don't need to be biased, I would say Limited Supply by Nick Sherman. Favorite newsletter? Ari Murray's Marketing to Millennials does a great job talking to us as like friends instead of people who you're trying to learn from. Yeah, she's got a, a great tone in her newsletter. I agree. Yes. What is your favorite social media channel? TikTok. I can't get off of it sometimes. Is that as a brand as well? Do you guys use TikTok um, a lot? We use TikTok a lot. I think we still use Facebook the most. It's where our large, it's where our community is. We have about 63,000 women in a Facebook group. So we're still heavy Facebook. But TikTok is where we can, can make the brand fun. Facebook, we can't make it fun. What is your favorite book? Winning by Tim Grover. And favorite event you're planning on going to this year? I'm going to the DTC newsletter conference called C-Suite Mastermind in Vegas end of March. And where can people connect with you? So pretty active on Twitter. CEO is my handle. And then LinkedIn, just you can uh, follow or add me there. Try to post as much content as I can. Yeah. And watch you build in public. So Renak, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. If you liked this podcast, follow me and The Bridge page on LinkedIn and Twitter for hot takes and tactical advice. If you really loved today's episode, we'd love a review on the podcasting platform of your choice, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening.